0: Hailed as the new Maurice Andre by the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, Paul Merkello is a spectacular soloist who the Montreal Gazette calls a most impressive master of his instrument. As principal trumpet of the Orchestra Symphonique de Montreal, Paul Merkello has worked with the world's greatest orchestras, including the New York Philharmonic, Pittsburgh Symphony, English Chamber Orchestra, Russian National Orchestra, Sapporo Symphony, Venice Baroque Orchestra, and the Eastman Wind Ensemble, among others. Paul Merkello has now released a new recording for the Naxos label, showcasing the trumpet concertos of Alexander Arutiunian, Dmitry Shostakovich, and Mieczysław Weinberg featuring the Russian National Orchestra under the direction of Maestro Hans Graf, along with the acclaimed pianist Yuk Cho. The three works on this recording each have a connection to the legendary Ukrainian trumpeter, Timofei Dokshitzer, who not only served as principal trumpeter with Moscow's Bolshoi Theater, but who also enjoyed a spectacular live performance and recording career. Paul Merkello is here with us to discuss these three great concertos. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining us on the podcast.
1: Hi, Max. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Let's start our conversation discussing the great Timofey Dugschitzer, as the entire album is dedicated to his legacy and features two significant works that were written for him. Mieczyslaw Weinberg's trumpet concerto in B flat major, Opus 94, and Alexander Union's trumpet concerto in A flat major, which includes a cadenza written by Dolchitsz. Paul, I believe you tell the story of your mind-blowing introduction to the world of the trumpet when your mother brought home Schitzer's recording of Haydn and Hummel.
1: Well, my family background is Ukrainian. When I started playing the trumpet, yeah, it's true. Uh, my mother w- read the biography of Timofey Dokshitzer. I'm probably just curious about his name and it was an album of the Haydn and Hummel trumpet concertos and she brought it home and you know I just became fascinated with his musicality and his style which was quite unorthodox from what North American trumpet players were playing like was quite a different sound and different style and that really captured my imagination and for many years well even today I still imitate many of the things that he does musically as it's just so interesting and so artistic.
0: When Dogshitzer passed away in 2005, you started thinking of ways in which you could pay tribute to his legacy.
1: When he passed away, it was profound for me because not only did he inspire me when I first started playing the trumpet, but also I did send him some cassette tapes of my playing when I was a teenager, and he sent me back some method books that he had written that he personally autographed for me and some CDs that I had not seen before that were produced in Russia also autographed and That was very touching for me. And he also accepted me at the Nessence Pedagogical Institute in Russia to study with him. His effect on me was profound. In 2005, I asked a good friend of mine, an esteemed composer, Jim Stevenson, to write a piece that's called Fantasy for Trumpet and Piano that we premiered in Bangkok at the International Trumpet Guild Convention. And that was the beginning of a series of recitals and tributes that I was going to pay homage to him that culminated really in this album.
0: Why do you think the trumpet's repertoire is limited in comparison to other wind and brass instrument concertos?
1: Well, that's a great question and one that I, you know, myself and probably, you know, several of my soloist colleagues out there in the world are trying to change that reputation. It is unfortunate that we're not considered by some composers to have the same stature as, let's say, violin or piano or voice. But in the hands of someone like Dachschitzer or Maurice Andre or many other great trumpet solos through history, it's really about the player. It doesn't matter what instrument they play. If the musician is that skilled, and I would add that musical in their approach, where they're really telling a story, they're really giving some unique message through their gift with the way they play the instrument, then there's no reason why more composers wouldn't be compelled to write for those artists that can play the instrument at such a high virtuosic level as Timothy Dachschitzer did.
0: Paul, for this recording, you decided to keep the trumpet muted and also play into the stand in order to strike a better dynamic balance with the piano. Can you talk about that a bit?
1: In a piece like the Shostakovich, which is an adaptation of the Piano Concerto Number 1 that Shostakovich wrote originally for Trumpet, Piano, and Strings, the trumpet took over many of the piano lines in this particular arrangement. And as a result, balance was an issue. I wanted to make sure that it was really a double concerto and that the trumpet didn't overstep its bounds sonically. So there were passages, yes, I would play with different mutes, and some passages I would sort of play into more of a cloth in the stand to blend the sound a bit more. ¶¶ I hope that the listeners can hear that dynamic contrast and the blend that we worked really hard to get just the right kind of sound.
0: Okay, let's get into the album. It was Dogshitzer who made the first recording of the trumpet concerto in A-flat by Armenian composer Alexander Arutiunian. When did you first become aware of this piece?
1: (laughs) Well, That was the second recording that I got of Dogshitzer. (laughs) That was... (laughs) That became a worldwide phenomenon, that recording, because the concerto itself is so brilliant and it has so many sort of Middle Eastern flavor, Cacciatorian flavor to it. It's a very engaging and highly virtuosic and dazzling concerto. In most conservatories around the world, that is a standard piece that we must learn in order to get to the next level as an instrumentalist. I think I first tackled it when I was about 13 years old and I feel like I've been playing that concerto my whole life. As a matter of fact, I'm playing it in two weeks here in Montreal with the Montreal Symphony Orchestra, and I'm always thrilled to play that concerto because even though I'm doing it by memory, when I study the part, I have my markings that for some reason I put in pen back when I was a teenager, and it just kind of gives me a pause to think about how long I've been doing this and, you know, that I'm still trying to get it right.
0: It unfolds symmetrically, beginning with a lively passage. Can you walk us through the evolution of this piece?
1: Yeah, I mean, the opening is what you would expect from the opening of a trumpet concerto. Very, very proud and very heroic and, you know, forte and really, really strong, almost, I would say, operatic prelude to the concerto. finds itself into this very dance-like allegro section that features a lot of what we call double-tonguings. <Sket> Those who don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> on this podcast, single-tonguing would be like ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta and double-tonguing could be like ta ga 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 so double the speed, but instead of saying ti t t, you say tiki 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 tiki. particular allegro. Just the speed and the nature of that kind of tonguing gives it a crispness and a virtuosity and a lightness that is, I think, really highly compelling to the listener.
0: for the clarinet and harp which is then taken up by the trumpet and lower strings
1: yeah so after that allegro there's this gorgeous lyrical section you know again it's something straight out of Verdi or Puccini almost I mean it has this really floating beautiful melodic line that turns quite passionate at the end of it that lends itself back to a sort of modulated version of the allegro and then probably one of the most interesting parts of the concerto is this section that you are referring to where the harp gets more involved and the clarinet takes a solo line and the trumpet comes in very mysteriously in piano dynamic with a cup mute what that's doing is taking away all the brilliance and brightness of the instrument and making it more of a jazz color, more of a blues color, something more mysterious in the distance. I love playing that section because it just really sort of calms everything down and brings another color of sound I think that's something that the trumpet can do really well as a solo instrument that maybe other instruments can't do. We can change the color quite dramatically to the biggest, loudest, most brilliant color to something that's really dark and round and soft and blended. After that section, the orchestra interlude builds us back to the return of the first Allegro, and then there's a coda section that lends itself into the cadenza. This cadenza was written by Timothy Dugschitzer, and that's the one that he recorded, and that's the one that I always do. There was one exception years ago with the Montreal Symphony, I wrote my own cadenza, I went and played it <clears throat> it was a park concert it went okay but at the end of the day I returned and I will always return to this Doc cadenza you know it's like WC's music I mean there's like not one wasted note everything that he thought of everything he put in there just fits so well it's so well thought out and constructed very episodic very emotional and then very brilliant and more double tonguing towards the end Which leads us into the final very noble and heroic ending.
0: Okay, let's move to the trumpet concerto in B-flat by Michislav Weinberg. My reaction when I first heard it is, I need to hear that again.
1: I must have played it over and over and over again when I first got Doc Schitzer's recording of it years ago, and I fell in love with it. So I was really honored to be able to record this concerto.
0: Tell us a bit about Weinberg and the trumpet. He seems to be regarded as a compositional hero of the instrument.
1: Just a few years ago we celebrated his centenary year and I think he's really on people's radar much more now than he was at the time when he was living and composing a lot. The reason for that, I can only guess, is that while he was in exile, he was from Poland and of course World War II was going on and the Nazis were invading and it was Shostakovich that he had befriended and Shostakovich invited him to come to Moscow. That's how that happened. That's how he became considered also part of the Russian school of composition, but his background is Polish. And he and Shostakovich were so close that they actually lived in the same apartment building, which I... I visited when I was recording this album. And I also had the great pleasure to spend time with the widow of Feinberg. She came to all of our recording sessions. And at the end, when we wrapped up the recording, she came to the after party with us. And over, you know, quite a bit of champagne, we had a chance to really sit down and talk. And it was just wonderful to spend time with her. And I understood that he got to know Teofy Duxitzer and as a result wrote him this concerto. This concerto is considered a symphony for trumpet, that's what he called it. It's got so much variety and depth to it and particularly the second movement which as Mrs. Weinberg told me is more or less a tribute to his family that lost their lives in concentration camps. (laughs) It's a very cinematic sound to it. It's these poignant singing, soaring lines at a softer dynamic, and the middle section is something that you would maybe hear in Scriabin or Mussorgsky, even Mahler. Where it has a very powerful middle section where the trumpet is just soaring over the orchestra. just talking about it because when I was there recording it that imagery was in my head and it's very inspiring to play particularly that moment but there's many moments in the concerto that are like that. It's very tongue in cheek the way Weinberg composed the opening to the third movement. You finish the second movement. that's almost like it takes your breath away. And there are some bells that are being struck at the end of the second movement, and that continues into the third movement, where the trumpet is quoting maybe Mahler's fifth opening. Da-da-da-da. And then he transforms that into Mendelssohn's wedding march from Midsummer Night's Dream. You know, you wonder, even when I first started studying the concerto, I was thinking, why did he do that? Was it supposed to be comical, or is it really an homage to the trumpet's role with many great composers in the orchestra repertoire? Because he goes on to quote Bizet. A passage from Carmen. He quotes the famous ballerina dance in Stravinsky's Petrushka and other curious little passages, fanfare passages that are sprinkled into this cadenza. One of the hardest cadenzas I've ever played, actually. drifts away and that comprises the first third of the third movement and then we go into this really poignant and nostalgic waltz it's sort of meditative I think the listener listens to it and just gets lost in this beautiful but kind of mysterious waltz
2: Okay,
0: let's move to the Concerto Number One, Opus 35, by Dmitry Shostakovich. You were granted permission by the Shostakovich estate to make the first recording of Dogshitzer's arrangement of this piece.
1: Yeah, we had to make some adjustments on the fly too, just in terms of like what parts might be better suited to just leave in the piano, or dynamics, or tempos. At the end of the day, it's got to sound beautiful. It's got to work. It has to have the right musical message, and that's what we were after. We have to make something very compelling, and we have to tell a story with this, and it needs to
0: be convincing. And although Dauschitzer performed and recorded his arrangement of the concerto before he passed away in 2005, the piece wasn't published until 2009, and so it was only then that you first looked at Dauschitzer's reorchestration.
1: That's right. And you know, I'm sure I'm going to have some critics in this. <laughs> you know, I mean, I it would have been easy to just do the original and call it a day. But the fact is that this is my personal tribute to Timothy Dugschitzer and because I know this story and that he was a celebrated arranger for most of his performing days, he also did amazing arrangements that, of course, you can hear. When Shostakovich passed away, he decided that he would take matters into his own hands and that he would make an arrangement, a special arrangement of this particular work that made it more of a double concerto. But he didn't publish the version for trumpet, piano, and orchestra. What he published was a version approved, of course, by the Shostakovich Estate. It was a version for trumpet and piano that I started studying and practicing and playing and recital. But when I knew I was going to make this recording, I decided to speak with Maestro Hans Graf and with my colleague Jay Hyuk Cho about how we could best adapt this into that version that he did premiere but never published so that's what we did we adapted it we made some minor changes but we still respected the original score and we did many of the enhancements and ornamentations that Duxitzer did in his special arrangement (laughs) to find the right balance in sound if you can't control the softs It's quite easy to play louder on the trumpet, but if you can't control the softs, then you miss a certain refinement that the violin or the piano can have. specifically on this Shostakovich arrangement is to find the intimacy, the more refined, the soft playing, to get that to be as pure and controlled as a pianist can do. And that was quite a challenge. And as I perform the piece now, that one requires special attention of me in the practice room to be able to really control the soft. The louds, those are fine, but the soft lyrical stuff and the lighter articulation and the soft dynamics, that's something that I have to work really hard at. And I take a lot of pride in trying to get it just right.
0: Recording offers a different perspective, and there's an ironic playfulness to the piece, and one notices the differences in your arrangement right from the beginning of the first movement as the trumpet takes over the melodic roll from the right hand of the piano line.
1: That's one of my favorite parts when the trumpet first comes in with that trill which is the piano line there's many times I've performed this with different orchestras as the trumpet portion of that work I don't want to say trumpet soloist because the original version it's the piano is the soloist with some trumpet interjections but when I've done it in its original form I've always loved and admired that part and the way the piano sounds so effortless and expressive
0: Then the fourth movement, the finale, is a real tour de force for both the piano and trumpet.
1: Fast movements are always something that we have to think about. Is one trying to impress with speed? or phrasing. Well, obviously both is a win-win, but every time I would practice that movement, I would come into it just too fast. It was like the the movie Fast and Furious. I mean, it was like a car out of control on the racetrack. I would record myself in my practice room and realize it's going too fast and I'm missing some of the beauty and the elegance and the phrasing. So we decided to just take a slightly slower and grounded tempo so that we could give more character and shaping to the lines and i think that's something that i'm very happy that we did Uh, however at the end the final coda we went well as fast as my tongue could basically go because there's more double tongue in there but we really did push the tempo at the very end that clever little dance solo, almost like a drunken sailor moment in the middle, and we decided to go more tongue in cheek there and do the syncopation with much more accent and more character and a more ad-lib feel.
0: Talk a bit about your colleagues and collaborators on the recording, working with the orchestra and Maestro Groff
1: I just have to thank so much Maestro Groff for his participation. I mean, the fact also that he spoke Russian really helped in our rehearsals and our recordings to just make everything just go smoothly. Hyuk Cho, I had not met him before. The producer, Michael Fine, when we were talking about who did we want to collaborate and as it turns out jay was going to be in moscow to do another recording of Rachmaninoff at the same time so we aligned our schedule so that he was there and it, we just hit it off i mean it, the way he played that particular concerto is exactly the way i would want to hear it The way he was so open to our new adaptation of it, too, made me very happy because, of course, he could have said, hey, you're stealing our thunder here. He was really open-minded, so I really appreciated that.
0: To close out, let's talk about the dream team you had the great pleasure of working with in the studio, Grammy Award-winning producer Michael Fine and engineer Erdo Grote.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. That's the second album we've collaborated on. We did an album for Sony, classical, called The Enlightened Trumpet, where we recorded the Haydn, the Hummel, the Leopold Mozart, and the Telemann concertos with the Oxford Philharmonic. We did that in the UK. It was such a fun and exciting, inspiring experience that when we wrapped that recording, we all kind of looked at each other and said, okay, what's next? So that's how this album came about, only a few years later. This is the dream team for me, and I'm still very much in touch with Michael Fine and with Erdo Grot, a wonderful engineer. And I'm just so proud to have worked with these gentlemen and to be able to produce a product like this. I have to mention, of course, that being of Ukrainian background and what's happening in the world right now, I almost didn't release this album because was done with the Russian National Orchestra. Uh, However, we did it in 2019. It was way before the conflict. I was conflicted about this, and I didn't know what to do. But without speaking too politically, I can say that as an artist and as a musician, I just really appreciated the way they played. And I think we have a duty as artists to play music and inspire people to think maybe a slightly different way and to be inspired in moments of conflict and moments of duress we have to take what we can as artists and send a positive message and that we keep using music as a platform to show that there's a better way that that show that there's something bigger and greater in all of us that can keep us inspired to not have conflict and to not be tyrannical but to celebrate each other
0: Paul Markello, thank you very much for coming on the podcast to discuss your new Naxos recording of stunning trumpet concertos.
1: Thank you so much for having me.